O God, because without you we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. That's the collect appointed for today, September the 12th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being with me today for the Sunday edition of the show. Um, we're going to be reflecting on uh, Proverbs 1, 20 to, 20 to 33, sorry, uh, the epistle of James, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, and the gospel according to Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 to 38. It's, it's going to be um, personal and profound today for me. Um, it's about the power of the tongue. We're going to focus primarily on the James lesson because I, I've been feeling that myself a lot in the last week or 10 days. Reflecting today, however, we've had a busy week around here. We had a lot of things happen. We had a difficulty um, on Wednesday. Will had a couple of seizures. And uh, so it was a stressful day, to say the least. Um, it's not the first time that he's had one. He had one about a month and a half ago, and it was while we were out walking. And it, it you know, got got us shook up pretty good. And this time, the same um, for both these things. It's just, it's an awful thing to watch. Um, and, and, you know, what people primarily know about seizures and, and epileptic seizures, and we don't think this one's epileptic. We think it's related to the to the injury, but um, is they know that, that they will swallow their tongue sometimes, uh, or they will chew on their tongues when they do this. It's an interesting thing to see this power just take over. I mean, the body just attacks itself in some ways, and it's just a frightening thing to see. Other than that, we had a great week, to be honest with you. Um, but, but as I tape this, it's on uh, Saturday morning and uh, as i started going through facebook and looking at news articles and things like that everything's focused on 9-11 the 20th anniversary of it and um will had reflected with us this week that uh, that it, it it was the thing that sort of marked his childhood and and sort of hung over his growing up years in the same way that those of us who are baby boomer age um knew the cold war hung over us you know it was like the you could be aware that terrorism happened around the world, but then when it happens in your country, it becomes a frightening thing. And so we all remember watching that day, the events unfold from the time that we heard first about the the first plane all the way through the rest of that day and watching and having those images seared on our brains and, and in our hearts as well. And so we pray for those who... Uh, for the families of those whose lives were lost this day, for the first responders and others, and, and remembering a time when America was was united for a brief period in time. We were just Americans. Um, I remember well that day I walked into the church. Uh, I had dropped the boys off at school and then had gone to, to church to work in Pauley's Island and, and went over to the the administrative building, but also a place for teaching and study in there, and and went in and was getting some uh, coffee, and and another person came in and and said, I don't know what's going on, but on the way here, I, I was listening to the radio and I heard that um, a plane had flown into one of the World Trade Center towers, and we were all like, Well, there's 
no way that could possibly have happened. Maybe what you were listening to was like John Boy and Billy, and there's some sort of joke behind that. She said, no, I don't think so. And then in a couple of minutes, somebody said, oh, my gosh, I just heard a second plane flew into the World Trade Center towers. And so we spent the next several hours together watching on a little bitty television but we wanted to be together to watch this thing and so we gathered around this little television i mean it was tiny in somebody's office and and watched this stuff unfold and will said that that they watched as well they the school that he went to was sort of a home school but not really um there was an actual teacher and and there were about you know 15 or 20 kids and so they watched it all day because she was so spellbound by what was going on, and so they ended up watching it all day, and and that sort of impressed that event into into those kids, and and, and it, it's never far from us, you know. And, and we've just there's so many things that are happening right now that that just bring this back, you know, as we end this war war in Afghanistan, and um, and the the Taliban takes over in Afghanistan immediately upon our uh, leaving, it just shows that we haven't come as far as we thought we had. There's still much problem in the world that that we didn't solve by spending 20 years and trillions of dollars in Afghanistan. It should drive us as Christians to our knees and praying the Lord's Prayer really, right? To pray that um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because it's a, it shows us and reminds us again how fallen we are. And so it, it's been that kind of a sort of a morose week and, and a lot going on. And so here we come today to consider some profound words and to consider who, who we are and whose we are and to, to point us back in the direction of, of Jesus, that, so in the first lesson, this, this Proverbs lesson begins with wisdom cries aloud in the streets, in the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. So this is, this, she's attempting by vocal means to get the attention of us all. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will you scoffers delight in your scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproach, behold, I'll pour my spirit out my spirit to you. I'll make my words known to you. And and so we, we get the idea that, that God is calling out, trying to get our attention through all the events of the day, through through. Uh, preaching, through teaching, through witnessing, through any act of evangelism, but also through the events of the day, because that's what we see in the book of the Revelation when God's attempting to get people's attention and saying judgment is coming. It's the things that are happening. When when the uh, disciples and others ask Jesus for signs of the coming of the kingdom in the end, the signs that he gives are, are visible, tangible signs that are happening in the world. And so we see in Revelation, for instance, we'll see a third of the stars swept from the sky, the sun and the moon darkened, all these other visible signs. But it's the voice of God through his creation, which he created with his voice by speaking all things into being. It's now the destruction of that which was spoken into being. 
by which he attempts to get our attention. And so the question continues to be, are we listening on a daily basis? Because I'm positive that in every single way, God's attempting to get our attention in the same way here that wisdom cries out. But we we tend to be like Job, and we will question God. Why is he doing this? Why is he doing this? Why is he doing this? Why is he allowing these things to happen? And then what happens is God shows up and says, Job, were you there when I created all these things? Do you understand all these things? Because what he's saying is, Job, you couldn't possibly understand your own situation because it's woven into the tapestry that comes from the beginning of creation and comes into now. And it's a comfort to Job because he knows now that his story is known to God and has been known to God from the beginning of time and before. And so Job says that he repents in dust and ashes, for he has spoken without wisdom. And now he's ready to hear God speak. His voice is now done. He says, I've said all these foolish things, and now I'm prepared to listen to you and your voice of love. Because he knows that he is known to God, his situation is known to God, and that God must have a good purpose for what has happened to Job. And so the in the Proverbs lesson continues with, Behold, because I've called and you refuse to listen, listen, I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when tr- terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they'll call upon me, but I will not answer. They'll seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have the fill of their own devices. It it reminds me of an old C.S. Lewis quote, and that quote is this. There are some people who say to God, your will be done. There are others to whom God must say, your will be done. You've chosen this path. Don't blame God for this. He has attempted time and time again to speak to you, to call you to himself, to call you to repentance, and to call you to life, and you've chosen your own selfish way. And that way leads to destruction. This is no different. This Proverbs lesson is no different from from Jesus' teaching. We choose at some level our own way, and if we choose our own way, then, then we can't blame anyone else. For Christians, what we want to do is make sure that that we can't be blamed, that we share the gospel, we share the truth, we share wisdom with those around us, those who, who mean everything in the world to us. We can't fail to do that, and we have to do it in every single way. You know, the quote that's attributed to St. Francis is, is, share the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. Well, there's that's misused. <laughs> it's misused in such a way that it says you don't actually have to preach the gospel. Well, you do have to preach the gospel, but also your your actions, what you do and who you are, is a great reflection of whether or not you actually believe these things to be true. And so it's important that we preach the gospel at all times in our lives. Our lives have to match our words. Those two things have to line up. And we have to be careful with the words that we say. We have to be careful about all those things. They matter. 
all the things that we do, those things matter. And if the world is to know knowledge and to know wisdom, to true knowledge and wisdom, it has to come from those who, who know it. And because we have the Holy Spirit, because we've been filled with the Spirit of God, then we are the ones who do that. And it's been so since the beginning. We were created in order to make him known in the world through who we are. So this, the, the finish, the Proverbs passage, for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Those are powerful words. And, and do we accept those things and do we allow those things to bring peace into our hearts and into our minds? Or, or are we still in living in fear? of judgment? Are we living in fear of, of what might happen? Or, or do we know the truth? And the truth is that, that whatever touches this body only, reflect, only reflects on the body and not on the soul. So, I'm, so I, I know that my body matters. It's not the denial of the body, but it's, it's, it's the, um, the acceptance of Jesus's words that be, be fearful of the one who has the power to destroy the body and the soul as well. And so we, we do well to heed these warnings and to, and to respond quickly whenever reproof comes to us, when it, whenever we're confronted with uh, conviction of sin, not condemnation, but conviction. And those two things are difficult for a lot of people to separate from one from another. It's Can God convict us of sin, which is to say, I'm calling you to repent and be a different person? And do, can we hear that conviction without receiving it as condemnation? Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But there is conviction, and it's because we are more called to more completely uh, reflect the image of God in our lives. And so the conviction of sin comes in order that we might amend our way of life, that we might be better witnesses of him, not just in word, but in deed as well. It's important that we be willing and able to receive that. It, it, Jesus talks in this gospel lesson. He went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. So the, these are people who speak things, and but but Elijah did miracles as well. And so what they're saying is, is that 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 that's who we think you are. There, they, there was a belief that some of these would come back. Uh, and, and that the soul would be sort of recycled in some ways into the body of another. And he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you're the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one, don't speak this. That awaits the coming of the Holy Spirit in order for him to say that. And one of the main things is that if he makes that public proclamation now, if Peter makes that proclamation in public, he could be killed for it. And so Jesus is protecting the disciples from what men might do to them because there's a plan for them in the future. So, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Wait, wait, huh? No, 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 no. We don't see that anywhere in Scripture. What do you mean suffer many things? Be rejected by the leaders of the, of the nation, the religious leaders of the nation, and be killed and after three days rise again? And he said this plainly. In other words, there was no um, parable here. There's nothing they could misunderstand. It was perfectly clear. And Peter took him aside then and begins to rebuke him privately. 
But turning and seeing the disciples, Jesus sees their their reaction to this, and he knows that he's got to take care of this. He's got to deal with it, and so he takes care of it in a powerful way. He uses his tongue to do it. Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And that's the, the temptation that was presented to Jesus by Satan when he was in the wilderness after the baptism was exactly this. You can have all the kingdoms of the earth. You'll only bow down and serve me. And Jesus knew that his destiny was the cross. And so the kingdom without the cross is satanic, not of God. And so he's rebuking Satan, who is speaking now and presenting that same temptation through Peter. And if calling the crowd to him with his disciples then, so he call, so he's been with the disciples, now he calls the crowd, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. In other words, what we're intended to do in order to proclaim the gospel is to be like Jesus, who lost his life, laid down his life, rather than fight. He laid down his life, and from the cross, he didn't curse those people around him. He didn't say anything bad about the people who were cursing him and spitting on him, who had beaten him with rods and who now mock him as he hangs on that cross with the inscription, King of the Jews, over it, with the crown of thorns pressed into his head, blood coming down from his head. If you've ever seen a head wound, man, you know that they bleed. And so he's. this is the picture of Jesus as he prays for them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he's. that's what it means to lay down your life, to lose your life for his sake, is, is to say, I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to fight. I'm going to be relentless in love. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels? The power of the tongue begins with a confession of Jesus. It begins with a broken and contrite heart. It begins at the foot of the cross, realizing that I'm one of the ones he prayed for. It begins there, where a man bleeding and with open arms invites us to come and receive forgiveness, not condemnation. But he requires us to bring our sins to that place. In order to receive forgiveness, we have to confess our sins, and we have to have uh, hearty repentance as the... uh, write one prayer of of, um, confession goes. And, And so we come and we bring our confession of who we are. I'm a sinner. I'm one who doesn't deserve grace, doesn't deserve mercy. But because of what those words mean, I'm here to receive those in spite of my sins because you pray for me that I might be forgiven It's the prayer Jesus prays again and again and again for us. And and, and one of the things it's meant to do is bring us to a place of repentance. And, And the place that most of us need to repent more than any other place is in exactly what James is talking about here in the third chapter of his gospel as he talks about 
the power of the tongue and taming the tongue. It's interesting that that just after the time of Jesus, right after the destruction of the temple, there was a man called Onkelos. And Onkelos, that's a that that name itself is a Greco-Roman name, and so it, it's said that he was the nephew of Hadrian the emperor, and he wanted to go into business for himself, and he sought business advice from his uncle, who told him to to buy things that to, that nobody wanted because you could buy those things cheap and then explain to them why that was actually a very valuable thing. And then you'd be able to make a huge profit on this thing. And so he said he wanted to go somewhere else other than there in the, in the, in the, you know, in Rome. And so he goes to Jerusalem and there what he found was Judaism. And then he converted to Judaism and he wrote something called the Targum. And a Targum was, it was something that was written in order that the, that the, People who who read the Bible frequently, much of Hebrew had been lost to the people. That in the exiles, many had had lost their facility with Hebrew, and so they spoke Greek or they spoke Aramaic. And so, what Ankalos did, because he wanted the, the he is sort of an early Tyndale. <laughs> um, he wanted the the world to have the Bible in their own language. And so, so what he did was he wrote a targum, and a targum was not just a translation. It was, it was also, it had explanation, explanatory notes. If you look back, John Calvin did the same thing. Calvin wrote a Bible with copious notes in it, as did uh, Wesley, that was to be distributed among their followers. And, and the point was to say, I, I want to explain the meaning of these things as well. They did them in explanatory notes, and the way the Targum worked was is that it, it was with those explanatory notes for people. And one of the things that Onkelos did in Genesis 2-7, when it says that, that God create, breathed into man and he was a living soul, he, he differentiates there, and he, he gives a uh, it's not a translation. It's a, a an explanation. He, he said man became a speaking being, which meant that he was like God because God spoke things into being. And so he created man as a speaking being. That is not the same as word faith. I don't speak things into being the same way God does. That's not the case at all. No, it becomes a person capable of responding to one who speaks capable of having that relationship with God that's different from every other form of creation. And so that's the reason he chose the speaking part to focus on. And we are in some ways that way. We can speak things into being. I can, by my words, I can beat somebody down, right? And and they can receive that completely. By my words, I can also build people up, and, and that's what God would have us do. He would choose those things, but it must be speaking truth with grace or grace with truth, whichever the case may be. Truth is always important, never ceases to be important, but the way that we communicate that truth matters, and it matters completely to be honest with you. One of the things that while Will was in the hospital, in early days, actually, um, I was speaking with a friend of mine. We were in, I was in the hospital room, and I was speaking on the phone with a friend of mine, and and she said, John, I'm just feeling like the Lord's telling me that you need to go and ask for Will's forgiveness for things that you've said. And so I did, because I knew that that was true, and God's continuing to convict me of these things. And so one day this week, the day after, actually, the uh, seizures, I went in and, and told him that, that 
I'm sorry that for a long time I related to him as a baseball player and pretty much only as a baseball player. That was the thing that, that passed between us. He had he was um, he was a really good ball player. And so that was the thing that, that I related to him as. And then after that, he, he had a problem with anorexia and and he became really anorexic and, and all these things. And, and that's all I was relating to him as. And I was not relating to him as my son, my beloved child. And I spoke to him and to others about these things, and all those things were wrong. The way that I spoke was wrong, period, end of sentence. And so we're, we're rebuilding a relationship, and I'm thankful that the Lord gave me the opportunity to do that and to celebrate my son and to speak life over him and to, to rejoice in who he is and, and what his gifts and talents are and what his passions and interests are, because I recognize all those things come from God, I recognize he's not perfect, but first I had to recognize that I'm far from it. And those were important things to me, not just that day in the hospital, but now when once he's conscious. <laughs> you know, it's easy to confess to somebody who's in a coma. Um, it's harder to do it this way, although God laid the, the, the tenderness in my heart through the conviction of my own sin and my own forgiveness that God has forgiven me of those things. And so now I go to him knowing that I'm forgiven by God and having the certainty and the security of that. In James, what he says is, Now many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. It's a dangerous thing to teach because we we do walk these fine lines uh, of being misunderstood. Now I, I do my best not to be misunderstood. That's the reason I quickly made the comment that that I that there's no such thing as word faith in the in the way that it gets taught in too many places now. Because but, but but we we do have power in the tongue, but I don't have the power to bind God to do what I say. I, I have the power to bring life and and condemnation on people, um, but. But I've got to be careful with that. He says, we put bits into the mouths of horses. They'll obey us by controlling that one thing. We guide their whole bodies as well. He says, look at the ships also. Though they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. I mean, it is. It's, it's a powerful thing, and I recognize, and, and we can use the tongue. You know, it's not just the spoken words that we have. It's, it can also be the written words. I mean, if you go look at Twitter, and you look at the things that people say, and, and I'm, it's, it's a powerful thing, and it's a horrible thing. And Christians need to be the ones at the vanguard, not being those people and not saying those things. We've got to learn to love one another, and we've got to love one another by by not creating further division among us. And and it's important that we as Christians bring peace to the world. It's important that we bring truth to the world. That's the most important thing we bring to the world. But how we communicate that truth is at least as important. It's got to be communicated with grace in the same way that Jesus communicated it. You've got to be willing to speak truth into a lie like he does with Peter by, by saying, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine how much that hurt? But you've got to be able to speak those things in such a way that that 
that you're clear on what truth is, but truth has got to be communicated in such a way that grace is available. That's the truly important part, is, is that, that grace has to be available. It's got to be in, in, for the purpose of, of reconciliation. It's got to be for the purpose of, look, I've got to say these things to you because I love you. And then we've got to be standing there waiting with open arms and be willing to, to repent of our own fault in that. And none of us do that perfectly. And that was Luther's comment that sin boldly but love God more. What he, what he was saying was that man is so fallen that whatever we do is going to be tainted by sin. There's not a single one of us who can do, do anything perfectly and without sin. And so he says, sin boldly but love God more. And what he's saying is choose the right course of action, knowing that whatever you do is still going to be tainted by sin. But do that, but love God more, which is to say, do what he says to do, knowing that there's going to be sin in it, but knowing that his grace is there to meet you in that. And it keeps us humble whenever we understand that rightly. And so he, James goes on, every kind of beast, bird, reptile, sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It's a powerful corrective for all of us, and it's a thing that we need to understand, and it's a thing that we need to pray every single moment of every single day. Lord, guard my mouth. Let the words of my mouth be always acceptable in your sight. It's that that's should be our prayer. It should be that should guard our tongue that we recognize that because we are in his likeness and that we have received his son, we have received grace and we have received life, allow ourselves to speak words of life, not words of condemnation, but words of life in all things. Let us be like Jesus, knowing how to communicate grace with truth and truth with grace. Both those things are important. It depends on our attitude and how we come at things. When I worked for... Amazon, I realized after about three weeks that, that there was something wrong in my approach to every call. I was very anxious about every call and, and ready to be defensive about every call. And, and then it was like the Lord showed me something that, that said, John, you've got to decide early on in every call. You've got to approach every call the same way, but you've got to decide in every one. It does, is this person a person with a problem or is the person a problem? And sometimes but not as often as I thought it would be the person's a problem. Most of the time, it was a person with a problem. And if we begin to approach one another that way and recognize one another's brokenness and, and, and be aware that I don't know what's going on in your heart and in your mind, I can't possibly know that, that then I'll approach you with grace. doesn't mean that I don't speak the truth. It just means the way that I convey it is now going to be filled with grace because I recognize you're like me, hurting and afraid. Because that's the kind of world we live in. Father, we do pray your prayer 
We pray that your kingdom would come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 